Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. This week we're checking in on quite a major development here in the Midlands and a little bit later on we're going to be looking at planting for summer flowers. So how do you create your own environmentally friendly floral bouquets for the summer without all of those uh, chemicals and that? Anna Brown is going to join us a little bit later on. But as I said, in recent weeks, there's been quite a major announcement here in the Midlands. And I thought we better check in on it here on the show and tease out what exactly is going to be happening out in Mount Lucas in County Offaly. Now, we're joined by John Kelly, who is going to be um, overseeing this major development. John, you are very welcome back to Let's Go Green. Thanks, Ashley. So, John, in case our listeners haven't heard um, what I'm talking about, in a nutshell, what is going to be happening in, in, in County Offaly for in the not too distant future? Um, yeah, so I suppose uh, from our perspective, we're going to be host to the Ireland's first ever uh, national demonstration park for modern methods of construction. So Simon Harris and his Department of uh, Further Education, Innovation and Science um, decided that here was going to be the ideal location, given our, our tradition with construction related training, uh, the fact that we have a lot of land here and I suppose our whole um, area of as a center of excellence for NZEB and retrofit training, uh, digital construction, and embracing the whole green skills um, uh, area as well. So I suppose that was the main reason behind our um, nomination for the host for the demonstration park. This is this is going to be a huge facility, isn't it? Yeah. So um, I suppose the key, the main thing. Uh, from our perspective, is that we're going to host a series of development type units. Um, and these are going to showcase the best types of modern methods of construction that are available. So be it light gauge timber frame uh, or light gauge steel, timber frame, offsite manufacturing, uh, insulated concrete formwork, whatever is available in the industry, this is going to be a one-stop shop that will demonstrate and show co- or showcase those um, where people can come in and interact with them. They can uh, look through the front door. They can uh, walk inside the building and see what the wall looks like exposed. So there'll be a series of onion walls inside. There'll be blue roofs, uh, green roofs, uh, uh, heat systems of of different types and everything you can imagine uh, from the ground up and other from the foundation to the finished uh, roof section on it will all be demonstrating the different options that are available because that's where we have a a serious issue with attracting people into the construction industry along with all the other sectors so if we're fighting for people that aren't there the only other viable alternative is to come up with unique ways of um, fast tracking it so that usually involves off-site manufacturing of, of housing components and then actually assembling them on site so all the work can actually take place in a factory then you bring them on site with a mobile crane and piece them all together so that's that's the way the construction industry is going and, and modular installs things like that that we're hearing more and more in the industry to help tackle the housing uh, crisis that we have here and that, of course, is is all like moving towards like the whole industry is moving towards being more environmentally and sustainable. It's sustainable friendly in, in how it operates. So you're really going to be at the forefront of it. Now, I know you're 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 already there, but this is this major development now. Is this um, when you say to get people in and get that impact so that things can start happening, happening quickly? So is this 
separate then to like I know a lot of people listening might have had members of the family go to college to do like a course in construction or you know what will the offer be here yeah so it's important to point out so us here in Leash Offley Education Training Board um, are aligned with two other elements so if you like there's three pieces of the tripod so we have the the National Construction Training Campus here in Mount Lucas but we're also twinned with uh, construct to innovate and build digital and those two are, are attached to Technological University of Dublin and also to the National College in Galway and what they will offer on their side will be the fact that they're third level in, or third level they'll offer the research and de- development areas. So they will have uh, graduates that will come down here, interact with the buildings, stay in the buildings and kind of work on uh, energy performance and do up um, case studies of how the building performs. And obviously, as you said, um, Ashing there, it's all with the idea of sustainability, renewables um, and energy efficiency. So that will be their elements of it. But what we will do because our, in Leash Offaly Education Training Board, our remit is levels below third level so we aim to use the construction pathway to train them in the areas uh, below those levels but we will focus on practical application underpinned with the theory but more importantly how you physically carry out the task so we already provide um, like last year we, we provided training to over 2,000 people in the areas of nearly zero energy buildings and retrofitting so that was all practical based training that would have taken place here in Mount Lucas and then we will complement that with the modern methods of construction we've already started pre um, kind of development here uh, one of the other training team members uh, Yvonne Foy uh, she does a lot of the training in, in those areas so whether it's Revit, Tecla all different types of lean management and bit sustainable buildings they're all covered uh, currently but what we'll focus on is the complementary programs that will um, address this the practical skills that are required to actually install these new buildings uh, and you t- more importantly these types of buildings that are going to be new to Ireland but they'll help again like I said uh, help us uh, um, solve the housing crisis and be able to build on a much rapid a much more rapid scale that we can scale up quickly by in other words on a, on a housing development that has 200 houses that takes whatever amount of time with modern methods of construction you will be able to exactly set out in a timeline how long it takes to build one house or a set of two semi-Ds and then you just replicate that because it's all done on efficiency and off-site manufacturing, on-site assembly and that's it. Okay, so now look, Mount Lucas is quite quite a rural part of, of County Offaly and, you know, for most of us, we know it as the bog. Um, what does this mean then for the landscape of the area? Will the community around be affected by this? Will they be able to, to see this development? Yeah, well, I suppose, look, the fact that you, you've you nearly answered the question, we are remote, but um, anyone that lives in around kind of Dangan, Eden, Derry, Port Arrington, those areas, they've seen the landscape changing naturally over the last number of years with the introduction of the the Bordnamona uh, bogs being started dotted with um, wind turbines. So if you like, when we when we, Leash Offaly Education Training Board took control of Mount Lucas in, in 2016, there was one wind farm development with 28 turbines behind us. Now we have two more wind farms are fully um, completed and there's a fourth one on the way. So there's planning permission for 100 turbines in the area. And I think we're up around heading for 60 at the minute. 
Um, so that, that's happened naturally. But I suppose to complement that, we are linking in with Board of Mona here directly. And what we would love to achieve here is, is um, an energy park type scenario where ev- all the buildings that we have here are actually powered by renewable um, energy. But like what you're talking about, we've developed the site here. So we've two new buildings have come on stream and we'll be looking to complement that. So in relation to the, the landscape, because we're, we're a bit in off the road, it won't really you won't notice unless you look for it but i suppose on from a positive aspect it's bringing uh, job creation into the area and we're putting uh, mount lucas at the center of um, the demonstration part for the construction industry with a focus on modern methods of construction but also this is becoming the home it is the national construction uh, training campus but we're finally realizing the name tag that was associated with the center since 2007. I'm just wondering, John, now I do not come from a construction back, background, but, um, well, you know, both families come from backgrounds of living on the bog. Um, how difficult is it to construct something like this in, in that particular location? Yeah, well, look, uh, the good thing about modern massive construction is there's a series of different options available for every scenario. So at the end of the day, um, we, we built a new shed here, our training unit for the scaffolding apprenticeship. And what was involved there was we had to literally pile the foundation. So because of the nature of the landscape that we're in, uh, we have very free draining bog land around us that either comprises of bog peat or, or basically gritty sandy soil. So uh, the water um, that's here, uh, gets through the peat fairly easily but because um, it's just bogland all around us it stays there so we don't have to dig too deep to find the, the foundation but I suppose that has created a challenge in relation to the development but also an opportunity to to demonstrate the options that are available for, for um, building a, a unit on top of land like this here. I guess it's a balancing act really isn't it because as you say these skills are very much needed, especially we okay, first of all, we have a housing crisis, regardless yeah. of the environmental problem that we're all facing. Then we have the environmental problems that we're facing. So it's a balancing act then between getting this park up and running so that you can train the future staff of the industry, yeah. um, but doing it in a way that doesn't do too much damage to the environment. Yeah, and, and I suppose the key thing is with modern methods of construction, it's it's inbuilt that um as part of it, it's to build sustainable and more energy efficient houses. And here is going to be, if you like, the prototypes for different systems. And people can come here and see, you know, like I said, like gauge steel, uh, timber frame, uh, insulated concrete formwork, cross laminated timber, um, all the options that are available. But all of those are designed to reduce the carbon footprint, to improve efficiency. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's automatic. These new buildings are going to be more energy efficient for the end user, as i.e. the homeowner. But more importantly, they're going to be more sustainable from start to finish from the construction side of it. So they're automatically going to perform much better. But in relation to building them, they're going to actually use an awful lot less carbon. Um, the footprint will be more minimalized. But more importantly, there'll be options there to show different people like Ireland doesn't have a tradition with green roofs, but like in other European cities, blue roofs are a thing now. So like um, you can probably count on on your on, on one hand the amount of green roofs that are available in our local towns here, whether it's Tullamore or Portlaoise. Um, you know, a good example is the Paris Centre in Portlaoise with a green roof there. But if you talk to people about blue roofs, um, they don't exist around our region. So what is a you, blue roof? So it's just effectively your your green roof is is like a sustainable. Um, 
organic material grown on top of the building that uses the rainwater and harvests them to, to maximize it. A blue roof just uses the rainwater differently. So it helps cool down a building if required in, in a large kind of um, residential type or not residential commercial building uh, but also it just filters the water that that's fallen from the sky as opposed to down through storm water and out it actually uses it to cool the building it can also be used to complement the green roof scenario to to water the plants that are living there but again it's just more sustainable more energy are environmentally friendly and things like that as well well then john like um there's a bit of a chicken and egg issue going on here now. We have an, industry, uh, an issue with getting workers in the construction industry, generally speaking. I assume you're going to need people to build this for you to get it up and running. How does that work? Yeah, so look, obviously, because of the nature of the scale, so we would have received sanction from the department. So that's all working in the background with the procurement team. Um, and there's an oversight committee, with, which has representation from uh, the different departments and SOLAS, which would be our funding body. And then obviously, Leash Offley um, Education Training Board sit on that uh, committee as well. So that's all, if you like, working in the background. And there's tenders that have gone out uh, and planning applications. And so that's all going on in the background. But the, the aim of this is to provide uh, a window into the construction um, area as a career opportunity because currently everybody is the same. It's not a, it's not specific to construction. It's pan-sectoral. Every, every sector is looking for people. But what we're trying to do is raise the profile of construction by showing, like there's lots of different uh, things here. Like it, it's potentially how to save the planet, how to solve the housing crisis, how to um, develop a sustainable career for yourself. We're, these are all the elements that we're hoping people will, when they when it comes to the leaving cert, whether they sign up for a CAO course um, in college or whether they fill in their CAO form to do an apprenticeship. But the area of construction is a huge area of growth. And like the housing for all is 400,000 uh, 400, houses. The national retrofitting plan is 500,000 homes to be upgraded. So there's huge opportunities for both young males and females that are in maybe transition year, third year, starting to think about their career, that construction is an option. And there's, it's so vast, the opportunities yeah. available within construction. You know, So this is just one element that we're focusing on here uh, with the nearly zero energy buildings uh, and then heading to zero um, emissions buildings in the near future. And then MMC, uh, uh digital construction, all those. And it's great to say that in a rural part of, of Offaly that we will be the centre of the, of this for the whole country. There won't be a second demonstration park. This is the, the government's only park that will be in Ireland. There's there's one that we, uh, was visited um, in kind of preparation for this in the UK, but like they have two of them, one in Scotland, one in, in, in London, um, well, Watford. And that's for the whole of their, the island there, whereas this is going to be the, the showcase uh, within our island um, to see, to try to attract people in, but more importantly, importantly to show people what it looks like. And it, we should say as well that through Leash Offaly Education Trading Board, there are courses already underway. So if people are interested, they can now maybe look ahead to next September and, and applying yeah. for those. Um, how soon then, because obviously these things take time, um, and it has to go through the processes. Do you know when you'll be opening to students? 
Yeah, so in relation to the training, that's up and running already. In relation to the demonstration part, that will be the final piece of, of the jigsaw. So we, we work very closely with the industry. So we work with the Construction Industry Federation, the SAI, the uh, NSAI, so all, all the entities that are responsible for the policies um, that are involved in the construction regulations. So we've already con uh, convened a consortium to look at identifying courses. We have some of them up and run already, and they're all available on our website www.mountlucas.ie fantastic well it's going to be very interesting and we look forward to seeing um how the project progresses um but look mountlucas.ie if you're interested in in investigating a career in the construction industry that is your one-stop shop to find out how you would start going about that um john kelly from mount lucas and uh, thank you very much for joining us on this week's episode of let's go green Thanks, Ashley. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. And we're joined now by Anna Brown. And Anna is, of course, of Big Sky Flowers. Anna, you're very welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Ashley. It's lovely to be back. Now, Anna, I did, like, I, I'm not massively into doing my garden or anything like that, but I do love summer colour or like the colour of, of flowers in my home. And I know that, like, as I try to be more environmentally friendly and all of that, and as we all do it, you know, I'm very conscious of maybe buying the imported flowers less. I'm not, I'm no saint. I haven't completely banned them, but doing it, doing that less. Um, and it can be hard to know where to start to grow your own, especially if you're not green fingered and especially if you don't have much space to work with. So now that we're in February and I won't get into the argument, but we're heading towards spring. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I know people have strong feelings of whether or not February is in fact spring. Where do we start? How do we get ourselves going? Okay, so I'm going to just focus on one particular kind of flower now because there's one that actually is perfect to be growing now. And I'll give a little bit more detail on how you do it. So that'll be a benefit to your listeners. And that flower is sweet peas. Okay. So sweet peas, they're so colorful. They're beautifully scented. And they have this thing where if you keep picking them, they'll keep producing more flowers. People don't know. They don't realize they like the flower comes in their garden. They think this is lovely. Oh, I don't want to pick it because then it'll be gone. But with mm -hmm. the sweet peas, they're on this drive. They're annuals and annuals are on a drive to make seeds. And if you kind of stymie them with the making seeds by picking the flowers, they're like, OK, got to make more flowers. And so basically you can have flowers for months and months on the sweet peas if you're very vigilant about picking the flowers. And if you see the, the seed pods coming, get the, get rid of them, too. So. I would pick sweet peas and you can okay. start sweet peas now. And what, what they need when you're growing them is they need two things. They need plenty of water and plenty of fertility. So if you can get your hands on some, you know, a nice bit of manure from a local farmer or, you know, the contents of your compost bin or whatever, that's where you want to be planting them. Um, but to get them going at this time, so you want to buy their seeds. And I've seen seeds in somewhere even as cheap as little, but you can get like beautiful seeds from places like Cedaholic. Um, I don't know if Brown Envelope has them, but uh, probably seed savers do. So, you know, you can get ones that are Irish um, and you want to soak them overnight in a glass of water. And that's that just the, kind of that's the trick, isn't it? Like, well, you know? it's yeah. I mean, it's it just means that they like if you put them in the ground dry, that's fine. But you get them to germinate an awful lot more quickly if you soak them in water overnight. And some people like to nick them, you know, with this a little. But to me, that's like I'm not going to cut myself doing that. So you don't have to do that. So. So basically you 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 soak them water overnight and then the next day you're going to put them into and you, sweet peas don't like the roots disturbed. So if you've got some toilet rolls, 
mm-hmm. they're ideal to grow them and you fill up with compost. If you haven't got, and I've actually been doing something recently where I'm taking a, a milk carton, you know, those kind of Tetra packs, I'm cutting, cutting it along the side and that holds eight toilet rolls perfectly. So you've got this totally recycled way to grow your sweet pea and you want to grow them inside then initially. So you put them one or two seeds per toilet roll or, you know, if you've got the modules, use those as well or root trainers. So you, you'll get your sweet peas to germinate more quickly because you soak them overnight and they like the warmth. But the second you see the top of the sweet pea coming out there, you want to get them outside because what happens to people is they get them to that point, they leave them inside. The sweet peas say, oh, it's lovely and warm here. I'm going to just grow up really quickly. So you get this thing where the sweet peas become very leggy okay. and they're not very healthy. You know, you want like nice little butty sweet peas, not big, tall Kate Moss sweet peas. So once you see any bit of green coming at all, they will be fine outside. They can tolerate snow. They can tolerate frost. They can tolerate lots of rain. Um, and so at that point, you've got them where they're, you know, they might not tolerate mice. So you want to keep them maybe up high where the mice can't get at them because the mice will go in and eat the seeds on you. But people people make the mistake where they leave them inside and they get, you know, long stringy. But they they once they've germinated, they don't need to be inside anymore. Get them outside. And then when they get to be a decent size, oh, pinch out the tips as well. So you want them to kind of grow lots of stems from the side. So when they've got maybe to the point where they're maybe, I don't know, you know, maybe three or four inches tall, just take the tops off them. That'll make them bush out more. So you'll have more stalks going up, whatever you're going to support them on um, to grow. So once they get to be a decent size and you think the weather is improved, maybe like kind of middle of March, maybe maybe the end of March, depending on how the weather's going, they can go into the ground then. So you can put them into the ground where there's a fence to climb up or you can put some sticks in the ground, make a teepee, grow them up that or you can put them in a, a really large pot will work for them. But you want a really large pot full of all the nice compost you can find. And actually, I'm inclined to put like a, a used nappy at the bottom of that sometimes. Okay. Because, you know, nappies are designed to hold water mm-hmm. or liquids. And if you, you know, if you put that at the bottom of your pot, you'll actually have a really good way to, like people buy the crystals, but you don't need to, you know, you can find somebody with the child, <laughs> put the nappy in. Ask for uh, a nappy. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah yes. Yeah. That's, that's kind of a good recycling tip. Um, you know, you I, can have, use the I have cousins like, who've but... had babies in the last year and I do have Here, to use it though. Yeah. So, right. Okay. So, so basically you want to put them somewhere that they got lots of food and lots of, lots of drink. Okay. And, and something to support them because they want to grow up tall. That's so, the thing with the sweet pea because they are... Yeah. They're, they're quite physically light flowers. Yes. So yeah. they need something but, to support them. Yeah. So, you know, if you've pruned a bit of hedging or you have some bamboo sticks or you've got some hazel rods, make a teepee and then kind of encourage them. Once they get going, they'll go up on their own, but encourage them initially. And then once they start flowering, pick them, pick them, you know, and have them by your bedside. You wake up this gorgeous scent. They're really pretty. And that so anything else, it's a bit too early to be planting, but the sweet peas can handle being outside. They can handle the frost. They're a really good thing to start now. And I think they're great for kids. Yeah. There's something really, um, because they grow at the so the stages are so obvious and, yes. it's, and they're short term. So for young kids who are impatient, they're a really good starter plant. They are. They are. Yeah. Yeah. And it is important to get kids involved in, in yeah. you know, doing things like this. Um, you mentioned Irish seeds are the cheaper seeds. Like we should really be trying to get Irish seeds or at least at least well, looking. If you were growing wildflowers, you should absolutely try to not introduce, you know, genetics that are not. But for something, you know, I mean, we've, you know, we grow zinnias, we grow dahlias. These are not native. And but there's still things that, you know, pollinators will enjoy and like. So I just think it's good to support Irish businesses. Mm -hmm. So I would encourage people to, you know, to get the seeds from Cedaholic if they can, because there's a huge selection. They'll have them to you in no time at all. Like you, you order on Friday night and, you know, Monday morning, you have the seeds nearly in the mail. 
So something, you know, somebody like that, um, they're an Irish business, so it's nice to support them. Mm-hmm. And obviously the carbon footprint is lower if they're not coming from so far away. So that's that's a good thing too. But you know, the, the big the big chains have them as well. And you know, it's good to have like flowers are just I just see like the 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 cherry blossoms coming now and flowers are such a they're, they're like, you know, we'd be dead if we didn't have flowers. Oh, you know, because flowers become the fruit. Yeah. And flowers help to be like, there's so much that's important. Like flowers seem like a very frivolous thing, but they're not at all frivolous. They're actually very serious. And, you know, they're the things that keep life on earth going. You know, when when plants evolved to have flowers, so many things became possible because of that. So, you know, flowers are really, they're quite a serious thing and we should absolutely try and grow as many flowers as possible. You know, if you've got a lawn that's just grass, nothing is living in that grass. No, nothing has a habitat that's just grass unless you let it go to seed. Having flowers is a habitat for lots of creatures. So absolutely something that we should definitely be trying to do. Encourage people to have as many flowers as possible in their garden. I really like that you've made that point because I do think that we think about flowers as being frivolous and fluffy and, you know, um, something. I suppose we think of flowers as being something that provides us pleasure we don't think of them beyond that, that they have a really important purpose in in helping us have food and then supporting the bees and and all of that. Like, I mean, there's so many fruits, there's so many vegetables. I mean, tomatoes, no tomatoes, no flowers, no tomatoes, you know, and tomatoes like Italian food is gone without tomatoes, you know, so many things are gone without tomatoes. So yeah, um, Yeah. flowers are very important part of of the biodiversity and, and, and us being alive as human beings on the earth. Thank you very much for that, Anna Brown. Um, while I have you, Anna, and I know it is early and the ground is still quite hard and cold, um, is there anything that we could be doing to just prepare for the warmer oh, weather yes. at this point? So let's say that you want to convert some of your lawn to a nice flower growing area. Get some cardboard from your local bike shop or your local hardware shop. Lay it down over the grass. Kill all that grass without doing any work. Put some nice compost on top and you're ready to plant into that once we start to see Actually, the, the, the marker for when you're ready to plant into the ground is when the weeds start to grow. Because the weeds are growing, the ground is, is warm enough for everything else to grow. Okay. So that's so that's like a good rule of thumb. You know, I won't say like March because Athlone and Mullingar could be a lot colder. Um, but, you know, once the weeds start to come, the annual weeds, then you know the ground is warm enough to, to support you sowing, you know, scattering your seeds in the ground. I'm inclined not to grow very much from seed directly. I'm inclined to grow things, you know, in pots and then put it in in modules and what's so but I mean you can absolutely scatter your wildflower seeds on that um bit of compost or whatever else you want to grow. And that's a much better thing to have in your garden to have, you know, less lawn to mow and less, you know, useless habitat and to have like flowers and stuff that'll actually be a really good habitat for all the the living creatures that we need to live with. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, there's there's someone now um, who I assist with their gardening and um, dahlias are on the wish list this year. She's a big fan of dahlias. So that's my so I I have to go get some cardboard now and clear that little patch. Um, Very good. Very good. And And that sounds the dahlias. Sorry, Mm -hmm. just if you're getting flowers like that, some of them are single, some of them are double. The single ones are better for pollinators. The double ones, you can't see the, you know, the nectar. So the pollinators can't get at that. So if you've got a choice to, you know, to get single or double ones, get the single ones because they'll actually, they'll be beautiful as well, but they'll also support the pollinators. So when you say single or double now, are you, they're the kind of, um, is it, how do I? So if, 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 if you can see the yellow bit at the middle, you know, where, where the pollen is, if you can see that it's a single, if you can't see it, it's double. Okay, perfect. Right. Okay. So look for the single. Yeah, that's okay, a simple fine. way to look at it. Yeah. I do love the idea though of putting the cardboard down. Um, 
And because it's not labor intensive and any of us can do that. Absolutely. Do we like, will that eventually go moldy or like, does that matter? Like, do we have to worry about it? Love eating that cardboard. The worms will turn the cardboard into lovely humus for your soil. I mean, if it's if it's got put covered in tape, take the tape off, take the staples out. But other than that, it it, it will actually break down. It's a nice organic material. It breaks down to the soil. It actually helps the soil be richer because it's you're, I think organic material is a good thing. Um, there's there's no downside to it. And okay. worms, like if you pull up that cardboard in a few weeks time, you'll see like loads of worms having a really big party there, having lots of babies and really enjoying having that cardboard there. So they will appreciate that. And do you like when you put the compost down on top of this, does it have to be like a decent depth in order to be able to plant into that? Like what? Well, I mean, no, as long as you can't. I mean, okay, if you're going to plant spuds, you'd want maybe, you know, two, three inches. If you're just going to plant like little flowers. I mean, by the time the roots reach the cardboard, the cardboard will be gone and they'll be able to get to the soil below. So you just want to. In fact, you could actually do like several layers of cardboard. That means you need less compost. So. Um, yeah, if you can get the cardboard for free and the compost costs you money, I'd say, you know, go to town on the cardboard. In fact, some have actually have just used bark mulch on top of cardboard and that's worked really well for perennial plants, okay. plants that are a good, decent size. So you don't need a huge depth. You know, you're just you're just using it to hold the cardboard down and to have something that the plants will initially be able to root into. But eventually that, you know, the soil below will become accessible and it will be perfectly good. It'll be actually better than it would have been before the cardboard. Right. Well, well, that dead grass and everything will be feeding the worms very happily. Okay. Well, that person, if you're listening, um, get some cardboard for me, and the next time I visit, I'll be putting it down for you. So, Anna Brown of Big Sky Flowers, and um, of course, Anna, you have your your own website and your Instagram. If people want advice or that's right. To and I know you offer courses as well, so people can get in contact with you if they want to learn more. Absolutely. Well, Anna Brown, thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of Let's Go Green. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show, Anna. Thank you, Ashley. Lovely to be here. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. And I do hope that you are enjoying our show so far this week. Well, did you get caught up in all of the conversation around American football, in particular around Taylor Swift's efforts to get to this big match last week? And that conversation around her efforts to offset her carbon footprint because of all the flying around the world she does in her private jet. But but what does offsetting your carbon footprint even mean? I thought, who better to ask than John Gibbons, who is the expert in all things a climate and an activist and and indeed um journalist on the subject uh, john you are very welcome back to the program thanks ashton delighted to be here now john like carbon offsetting it's been around a long time now um but i think it's becoming more commonplace in conversations as all of us look to do more to improve the environment in what little way we can um, as individuals and particularly companies. We're seeing it, you know, as consumers even. Well, if you buy from us, we plant a tree in your honour or, you know, we, we do carbon offsetting. But what does carbon offsetting actually mean in, in plain English? OK, well, first of all, let's kind of find a definition. I suppose the best way of describing it is it's the promise or a commitment to removing or neutralizing a certain amount of carbon dioxide, uh, which is one of those heat trapping gases. And as you say, this is appealing to to sectors, particularly difficult to, to um, sectors like aviation, where it's really difficult to reduce emissions. The only way, for example, in aviation to cut emissions is to do less aviation, right? Uh, so that presents a, a 
problem for companies that don't want to do less, they want to do more. Most companies want to do more. And they're coming under increasing pressure from the public, from, from policymakers and so on, to show that, okay, our activity produces this amount of emissions, so uh, can we reduce them? Uh, only We can only really reduce them by doing less. We don't want to do that. So what we'll do instead is we will offset our emissions. Now, the classic example is uh, if you do X, we will plant a tree. Now, uh, that sounds great. problem with trees is you don't really plant trees. You plant saplings, tiny yeah. ones. Right? When people think of trees, they think of great big hefty things. But planting a tree is just a skinny little sapling weighing maybe less than a kilo. That sapling, by the way, won't start absorbing carbon in any meaningful quantities for 10 or 20 years. Whereas the carbon that you're dumping now is going into the atmosphere straight away. Number one. Number two, let's say that that um, sapling turns into a young tree that's getting bigger. And then along comes a forest fire and bang, all the emissions you thought you were saving go up in smoke. And this is happening a lot because a lot of companies, big companies like Microsoft, they're paying forestry companies in the US to, to protect forests and saying we're we're paying to have that forest not cut down to offset the emissions from our business, which again, sounds great. And millions of acres of off carbon offset forests in the States have burned down because of climate change. So the very thing that you're, you're trying to offset is actually making your offsetting more and more difficult, okay? That's it probably sounds, yeah. yeah. And like I've I've seen it an awful lot, like different um different companies and their advertising, you know, that they even like if clothing stores now, like you're going in and you're picking up something new and it might say, okay, made from this, this, this jumper is made from recycled polyester, etc. Or we've planned for every item we sell, we plant trees. But and like you say, like we're not it takes many years for that one sapling to grow large enough to be able to start sucking in the carbon. But that's only if that tree gets to live. And it doesn't uh, get burned down, which has increasingly happened. I'll, I'll put it to you this way. There was a study done about two years ago by the London School of Economics, and they looked at offsetting and they were examining. So the first thing they found is that half the funding, roughly, that is being directed from offsetting projects into things like renewable energy and so on, they were actually funding projects that would have been built anyway. Right. So they weren't actually saving anything. And overall, the study concluded that the sale of offsets to regulated polluters, quote, has substantially increased global CO2 emissions. Now, that might come as a surprise, but essentially, if you have to reduce emissions, let's say you're a, whatever business you're in, the imperative is to reduce emissions. Now, that means you, you can either invest heavily in technology to maybe clean up your business, or you can do less of it, which is the obvious way of reducing emissions, or you can go down the offsetting route. Offsetting, by and large, doesn't work. Therefore, companies that say that make a big fuss about it, what they do is they expand their business, they increase more and more, they create more and more pollution, but they stick a green sticker on it saying, but 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 actually we're doing offsetting. So the net effect of having these carbon offset schemes available is that it's providing a green fig leaf for companies to continue corporations to do exactly what they want, which is to produce more and more output, more and more pollution, uh, but stick a label on it saying, oh, we're offsetting it. And really the purpose of this is to make people feel better. But the question is, and this has been analyzed, is it reducing the amount of emissions that are being released into the atmosphere that is fueling global warming? And the short and simple answer is absolutely not. Is it greenwashing? I'm afraid 
in this case, it's 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 a primary example of greenwashing, and we see greenwashing all around us. Uh, it's you see it being done by organisations, some of them state organisations like Borbia. Uh, basically, everybody touting their green credentials: we're green this, we're green that, we're green the other. So it isn't just private companies. You have state companies, you have semi-state companies putting forward uh, claims that are, and I'll be generous here and say dubious, right? Uh, they, may, they may be a lot less than dubious, uh, but claims with very, very little uh, basis to them. And these have been used extensively uh, in greenwashing. So for example, Ryanair is a, as a classic example. A couple of years ago, the UK's Advertising Standards Authority ordered Ryanair to drop claims in its advertising that it was a quote, low CO2 emissions airline because the, the, the company had introduced a scheme allowing passengers, if you don't mind, to voluntarily pay a tiny fee to offset their emissions. So basically Ryanair were doing nothing. They were saying, if you're big enough Egypt to want to offset your emissions, you can pay for it. And there was the uptake of this was 3% of, of customers took place, took part in the scheme, and it offset 0.01% of the airline's emissions. And this was enough for Ryanair to put up the slogan that we're a low CO2 emissions airline. And anybody with with, with two brain cells rubbed together would realize that it was nothing of the sort. The whole thing was basically a greenwashing exercise from beginning to end. But it allows them to put these slogans out into the public, into the public domain and to claim to be good corporate citizens. And this is an issue, by the way. Increasingly, companies, corporations are coming under pressure from the public who realize that climate change is a huge and growing problem and those companies are suffering reputational damage so they're having to come up with more and more ingenious ways to pretend or to present themselves to the pub to the public as as doing green things there was a terrific example uh, the other day of an inset uh, into one of the daily newspapers that arrived into my into my letterbox and i opened it up and i dropped this thing called i think it's called climate call and i thought gosh a whole magazine about climate change fantastic and there was no branding, no identity, nothing even to indicate that it was advertising. It was actually a 32-page advertising supplement for the dairy industry. Nothing at all to do with climate, Ma making a whole series of elaborate but very self-serving claims about emissions reductions, but presenting itself to the public as if it was actually a magazine about climate change. So that's another example of that's not that's not offsetting as such, but it's greenwashing. And what you find actually is offsetting and greenwashing are basically two ends of the same stick. I heard, and I actually it made me laugh out loud to be honest. I heard a great analogy of carbon offsetting during the week there. Um, and um, the person speaking, Tara Shine from Change by Degrees, she said basically carbon offsetting is the equivalent of um, a married person in Ireland having an affair in Ireland, but to offset their guilt, they will invest in um, maybe a woman's economic movement in South America somewhere to 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 contribute to that community elsewhere. And there is a bit of getting rid of our guilt that we feel we know we're doing something bad about the environment. If I pay a couple of euros towards this I'll feel better but unfortunately like from what you're saying and what many experts are saying is we're nearly wasting that money because it doesn't actually have a benefit for the climate that's right and not only are we wasting the money but it's actually making the problem worse because companies are allowed to masquerade as if they're doing something their social license to continue to pollute is being extended if they were under genuine pressure saying right stop your nonsense, stop pretending that you're solving this problem and start solving the problem. Then we might see emissions reductions. What we're seeing instead are elaborate schemes 
promises about efficiency, about technology, about new systems, new this, that, and the other. We hear it, we, we see it right across from the big polluters, from aviation, across to livestock and everywhere in between. They're making lavish promises. And you say, right, show us the data that says, that shows where your emissions have reduced. And they say, oh no, we didn't say our emissions, we meant the intensity of our emissions. So you get all this kind of stuff going on where it's basically smoke and mirrors designed to continue business as usual, but to get the public off their back. Because companies like this, they, they feel very uncomfortable when the public say, well, you know, you're being a bad corporate citizen. I don't want you to be burning down the future for my kids. So they need to have a story. And that story, you can, there's two ways of doing this. You can do the difficult, expensive things about genuinely reducing your emissions, or you can do the PR and spin. And PR and spin is much cheaper, much easier. Mm -hmm. It doesn't require you to change your business model. And that's why people like Michael O'Leary are so great at embracing it because it allows them to continue doing precisely what they're doing while on the other hand saying, oh no, don't look over here, look over there. And that essentially is what carbon offsetting is about. Now, this, there was another study done on this by the um, a guy called Mark Carney, UN Special Envoy on Climate and Bias. And he pointed out that there's no binding international rules governing the whole area of carbon offsetting. And he said, as a result of it, it, the whole market operates in the shadows. And he said, while there are the occasional good offsetting projects, he said, there's lots of bad in the system that does actual harm. So if there was an outcome from this that we could say, what is the best thing to do with the global carbon offsetting market? I would say, shut it down. It is nothing more than an elaborate smokescreen allowing companies to continue doing precisely what they were doing before, but pretending and misleading the public into believing that they're making changes. All the atmosphere cares about, as you well know, Ashling, is how much emissions are being dumped into it. That's the only thing that matters. It doesn't matter how efficient your aircraft is. It doesn't matter how what your, your passenger load is. It doesn't matter if you claim to be Europe's most efficient, whatever. What matters is is your industry, how much emissions is your industry dumping either into the rivers or into the atmosphere? And until that starts coming down, the rest is all just talk. Well, John Gibbons, as always, you are a font of information on all these matters. And unfortunately, I suspect that Taylor Swift and the likes will continue in their private jets. Um, I have to be honest, I'd love a journey in one, just experience the luxury of it and then never again. But that's just me being selfish. Uh, John, thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of Let's Go Green. Hello, you're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. And we're in the final part of the show for this week. But there was a story during the rounds that really piqued my interest this week. It was a study from the team at Wiser Energy. And they examined searches for a number of fast fashion related Google search terms over a five-year period in order to find out which town in Ireland is most fashion, fast fashion, obsessed, right? So, fast fashion, we have discussed it here on the show. Basically, you're talking cheap clothes that are bought in bulk. This whole idea where you might do, a, you know, a so-called hashtag Sheen Hall or hashtag Penny's Hall, you know, maybe spend 20 euro, get a couple of different outfits, wear them once and bin them. Look, it's not my cup of tea. Um, I like my style and I certainly like when I um, buy clothing that it's going to last. I, I was raised on the mantra of you buy once, but you buy well. Now, that's 
not as easy as it once was because just because you spend a lot of money on something nowadays doesn't actually mean it's always going to last as long as you think it should, which is another problem which I do hope to to discuss. But let's just focus on the fast fashion um, element of this here. So Wiser Energy conducted this study and in fairness to them, it was over the course of five years, they looked at Google search terms to see what people were, were searching for and where these people were from. So... Carriga, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, in County Cavan, came out on top with a score of 381 out of 500, followed by Derren Turn in County Kildare, Rathoth in County Meath, Ballina, County Mayo, Kilmac Thomas in County Waterford. So they are Ireland's most fashion, fast fashion obsessed towns. Dunboyne in County Meath was Googling these fast fashion brands the least in Ireland. So that was, you know, they were the, the most you know, maybe not bothered when it came to to fast fashion Dunboyne and County Meath. But our near neighbours, County Kildare, well, apparently that county is the most fast fashion obsessed county in the country. Eight towns in the county appeared on the long list, closely followed by County Meath with seven, Cork and Dublin both with six and Waterford and Wicklow both with five. Counties Carroll, Kilkenny, Longford, Monaghan, Roscommon and Offaly tie for last place with only one town in each county interested in the fast fashion related terms that this study searched for. So the terms that they use are, were things along the lines of Zara, Sheen, Pretty Little Thing, Primark, otherwise known as Pennies, and of course Boohoo, you'd know them from their advertising. They looked at Google search data using the interest by region metric in order to ascertain where these searches were coming from. And they then calculated what they found on the basis of um, an awful lot of search data, it has to be said, right? And they they added different values and different levels of ratings. But the study is really interesting. And it does go to show that we as consumers are contributing to this problem as much as it has been generated by industry, you know. So we do have a massive role to play and it's worth looking up. So that's the study by Weezer Energy. And if you just Google the fast fashion capital of Ireland, it was released to mark the start of New York Fashion Week. Um, And that's where, you know, um, the people at Weezer who pride themselves in being sustainability experts um, went to town, basically, looking at where we are. It's not necessarily a problem elsewhere. We're just as guilty of it here in Ireland as anywhere else. Well, we are running close to time, but before I let you go this week, I just want to remind you that each and every episode of Let's Go Green is available on your preferred podcast app. So if you go on to Apple Podcasts or Spotify even and just search for the term Let's Go Green with Ashling O'Rourke, you'll be able to um, listen back to the show very easily. You can also do that from the podcast page of the Midlands103.com website. And... The Midlands103.com website is where you can get in contact with me directly. So if you want to get involved in the show, if you've got something that you want to put forward to me, have a chat with me about something you think might be of interest, send me a message. Go on to Midlands103.com, click on the on-air team, look for my name, Ashling O'Rourke, and send me an email directly from there. You can also send me a message directly on LinkedIn. Just look up Ashling O'Rourke. But as I said, that is all we have time for on this week's episode of the show. Have a great week. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you as ever to everyone who contributes to the show. And 
Stay safe and we'll be back here and let's go green same time next week.